Hi, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's iteration of the 2021 webinar series hosted by the National Minority Quality Forum. I'm Mia Keys with the Office of Congresswoman Kelly, where I serve as, as, as Robin Kelly's Chief of Staff. And as always, I'm very excited to be joining NMQF um, for, for Fridays. This is my favorite part of my Friday before five o'clock. So I, I must say it's, it's certainly a pleasure. And today I have the pleasure of talking to the one and only, the indomitable Dr. Gary Puckrin, who's the CEO and president of Net National Minority Quality Forum. And we're just going to go right, right ahead and, and get into it. Uh, today, Dr. Puckrin is bring, bringing us quite some um, really pertinent information, not just for to consider for today, but he's going to take us back into time and, and work our way up uh, in terms of the historical continuum as we evaluate how we how we got to this place of public health crises and on top of other syndemic crises. So Dr. Puckrin, hello to you. How are you? Great. Mia, how are you doing? I'm all right. Thank Good. you. I always enjoy talking with you because um, uh, you understand history and um, how important it is to know from whence we came. So I I always enjoy these conversations. No doubt about it, for sure. You, you keep me on my toes as well. <laughs> um, what, what I want to do today is um, I want to, obviously, we're going to get the chance to talk about social media, public health, because um, the National Minority Quality Forum, um, you know, we have drunk the Kool-Aid in terms of the importance of, of social media. But I wanted to take two seconds um, to orient us, to help us understand um, a little bit deeper about the uh, the African-American experience, uh, because health disparities are really rooted in some deep history. Um, and when we say we want to eliminate health disparities, people think that we're just talking something clinical, um, that if we could just um, provide a little, a little bit more pill over here or um, uh, 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 make a little bit more access over there uh, that somehow um, we are going to get to the issue of, of health disparities. Health disparities are, are deeply linked um, into um, a historic era when it was okay to discriminate, when it was not only okay, by law, it was required Right, I mean, you people went to jail, and, and African Americans were beaten um, by uh, violation uh, of those rules, um, and, and also to understand the time sequence, how deep this is in the American experience. And I know lots of people don't want to hear that history because it's not pleasant. But if we're going to address health disparities. Um, you know, this is the kind of thing that to talk about. So I'm going to show two slides, and then we're going to get off to um, talking about um, social media. Uh, and um, uh, this slide was not created um, by me, but um, it, it was at one of our summits. Um, um, a, a person at the summit presented this, and I asked him, uh, for, it was actually a physician who presented matter of fact. And um, uh, I was so impressed by it. Um, that I uh, asked him for uh, a copy of it. And so what, what you see here, this is the timeline when African-Americans were enslaved. Uh, almost 62% of, of the African-American experience in 2013 um, was, was rooted in, in chattel slavery. That means you couldn't own property. 
um, that your healthcare, as it was, was controlled by your um, your owner. Um, your children weren't your property. Um, you had you had no voice uh, politically. Um, you you were literally a chattel slave, and you can see um, how long and deep that is. And then coming out of that era was the era of Jim Crow, uh, where there were virtually no political rights and of the great civil rights struggle um, culminated in 1965 when we saw the beginning of, of, uh, of uh, you know, the first opportunity that African-Americans had to define self uh, uh, in, in, the, in the broader marketplace uh, to think about you know, their, their own personal destiny uh, and how we connected to the broader society. And so it's in this period right here Actually, I'm sorry, in this period right here, picking up around in the 1940s, is when the, the modern American healthcare system took place, right? So it was in the era of Jim Crow uh, that um, the, the modern American healthcare system took place during World War II. And here I'm talking about, um, you know, the um, um, uh, beginning of in, uh, health, health insurance given by employers. Um, and then the, uh, later on, um, the rise of you know, insurance and Medicare and Medicaid, um, et cetera. And so um, this is the era here where we, what we've been talking about, the, the language of the day is not equal, but um, uh, equity uh, and, um, uh, and the elimination of health disparities. So the conversation around the elimination of health disparities gets started in, in the 1980s um, with um, Margaret Heckler's uh, report. She was then um, um, head of HHS, uh, and um, she did a report uh, that documented the uh, the existence of health uh, disparities that um, African Americans and minorities generally, um, their quality of life was much poorer than whites. And you can understand why um, if you understand um, this, this history. And so, um, uh, this post period here is obviously is the one we're living in, and you can see what's happening even in our time. Um, how deeply this history uh, has informed the conversation um, and the push back and forth, and the reason why um, you know we had um, one sentence, right? Because um, uh, this culture. Uh, that came out of here did not just affect African Americans, it affected all of Americans. And there are some who's, who harken back to that age and want to sustain um, the privileges of that period. But what we're focused on is really um, a healthcare system um, that um, you know, provides equitable care uh, for each individual that comes into the healthcare system. And so the way, you know, at the National Minority Quality Forum, the way we free frame it is, uh, what we're looking for um, is reduction of patient risk, meaning we want the healthcare system to work to reduce everyone's risk, no matter color, creed, uh, gender, and by patient risk, I mean reducing your risk for hospitalizations, reducing your risk for emergency room visits, reducing your risk for disability, and reducing your risk uh, for, for dying. That is very, very different from this system over here, right? Uh, and so, um, you know, it's, it's with that understanding that, that background um, and, and how deeply rooted it is in the American experience 
helps you understand um, uh, the nature of the struggle. And I'm just going to show one other slide. Um, this one um, really, um, for me, I, I think about this slide uh, a lot. Um, so this, this is a family, um, newly emancipated right after the Civil War. And, um, and this goes back to that era when I was talking about chattel slavery. Um, so the hat on his head, uh, that pipe, these clothes, those shoes, uh, such as they are, uh, were given to them by their owner, right? They didn't, they didn't work for it. They didn't have the opportunity to work for it. It, it, it was bestowed upon them. And the quality of, that, of those clothes, what that's telling you is that the fruits of their labor did not belong to them. Uh, that that was the nature of slavery, that you took the fruit of their labor and you transferred it and you gave them very little back in return, including healthcare, right? And so what's, what's happening here for these new, newly emancipated slaves is that um, for the first time coming out of slavery, um, they have to take ownership of their own health. Uh, and in a, in a society that was still um, deeply antagonistic uh, uh, to them. So anyway, I wanted to, um, to, you know, just level set a little bit so we uh, understand um, the, the nature of the, the challenge uh, that we're talking about a cultural shift, even when we're talking about uh, the elimination of, of health disparities, um, that um, it, it is so deeply rooted uh, in the American experience. So, Dr. Parker, you know, so uh, before before I ask you a deluge of questions, I want for you to please explain to the audience why why you feel it's necessary that we always root our at the start of the conversation when we're talking about health disparities and we're talking about health inequities. Why must we root ourselves in the history? Um, in part because um, you don't understand the nature of the change. Um, when you say that you want to bring equitable care to everyone, um, you know, you get the sense um, that we're just talking about um, a, a clinical experience, that we need to make some minor alterations um, in that legacy system um, in order to um, 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 provide equitable care to everyone. And um, the, the point I'm making is, that no, um, we we have the paradigm shift. Um, that legacy system um, it can't survive the way it is um, because the inequities that we see in healthcare are based in the system. That's what the system was designed absolutely to do. And so when you say that um, you want to uh, be equitable uh, in care, you're really talking about reframing. Um, our healthcare system. Healthcare has probably been the slowest in terms of, of change uh, you know, from 1965. It has not gone, undergone the deep sort of social change uh, that lots of other systems uh, in our society uh, have, have undergone. And so at least you know, from the National Minority Quality Forum perspective, that's the work that we're engaged in. We are engaged in a work to, 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 to reimagine uh, with others, the healthcare system that we want, um, understanding that 
of the, the there's still people who live in the past who want to maintain the inequalities that were in that legacy system. They, they may not come out as baldly um, as I'm saying it to you, but th th that's essentially what what the conversation is is about. And so, um, if you start to look at the legacy legacy system in terms of policy, um, um, those policies were rooted in an era of inequality, um, and and so you know I think that's that's really the challenge. That's absolutely a challenge, Dr. Puckran. And and I want to bring out just enough. I want to emphasize some of the words that you've used here. You've used um, several times reimagine. Well, you you've just mentioned reimagine, re reimagination, actively reengaging and reimagining what our healthcare system ought to look like in order to to deliver the most equitable outcomes for for those who make up the residency of our nation, right? And there was a comment in the in the uh, Q and A about citizenship and um, so I, just, I do just want to be clear what Dr. Puckerman was referring to was really just the recognition that those who were previously enslaved are now brought into the, the fold um, at least um, de jure not necessarily you know in de facto right, right. so right. In, in law but not necessarily in practice um, so so thank you for pointing that out but but that's that's precisely what we mean so you reimagine Dr. Puckerman you used narrative right you use the terminology narrative and you also use the the terminology reframing right and so when i think about all of those things when address, addressing a multi level complex public health crisis as we see today but as obviously you've pointed out as we've been seeing for the last uh, almost 400 years right now we're at this point where we do have these platforms to reform and reimagine and reframe and social media gives that to us for better or for worse it gives right. it gives us that right? right so talk to us a little bit about uh you know and 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 i don't want to completely gloss over everything from 1619 to 2021 but talk to us about the platforms over time that have been useful with reframing with reimagining uh with you know with with uh, changing the narrative sure so you know one of the central um changes came with um the affordable care act um and if you understand the history you understand why that was such a difficult piece of legislation right because at the moment of of the affordable care act 48 percent of african americans had no health insurance 54% of Hispanic have no had no health insurance. So think about having diabetes. Let's not talk about cancer and all those other diseases. Let's just talk about diabetes um, without health insurance, right? Um, and the cost of your medicines and, and care and everything else that you need to have in order to manage your diabetes, the, the fact that you don't have a medical home. And so in that era, what was happening is um, it was rescue care. Um, the, you know, people were succumbing to the coming to the disease, the amputations, the blindness, all of those things um, were occurring uh, because they couldn't afford the healthcare. Think about it: when you go into the into uh, uh, any healthcare facility these days, the first thing they say is, "Let me see that insurance card." Because that insurance card tells me what I can give you, how long I can give it to you, who can give it to you. And if you don't have one, you can't even get through the front door. 
right? And so that was that was a moment of of tremendous change. Uh, and so um, that that began to open up the door. The other thing that is changing, and you can see the, the stress that it's putting on our society, is the browning of America, um, because it, it just we just didn't get healthcare. We also started to get a political voice, and you know that you're part of that of the of the Tri Caucus, uh, which is what over a hundred members now of the U.S. Congress. You know, you know, and what they're asking for is that reimagining um, so that their community can have access to quality care. And, and, and that's what all of the bubbling is about um, because we are going through a paradigm shift um, and anyone who knew anything about American history would know that that's not going to be an easy um, uh, travel, right? That it, it, it's going to be a lot of back and forth. Um, uh, in order to, to get there. Um, but but I think, you know, what's, what's critically important here is that um, we, we want to have a change that provides quality care for everyone. We, we're not looking to create privileges. We're just saying that everyone who comes into the system ought to get quality care. Uh, and that, that brings us into the world of, of social media. So Obamacare, Browning, social media, right? And so social media um, has allowed these, um, um, those in the legacy system to find each other, right? Um, and also it created opportunity to put a lot of disinformation um, unfiltered content so foreigners who wanted to be mischievous could come in and, and aggravate the situation um, as well as um, you've got uh, people for their own political reasons or um, um, selfish reasons or whatever reason um, you know uh, puts all of that together and and the challenge um, for us all at least those who are thinking about the reimagining is that we have to come together um, and use social media to help educate everyone, to help them see that future, right? We have to give them a sense of where we're going. Uh, and, I, and I think that's really what um, the, the power of social media is, is that it helps us as we go through this very, very deep um, societal transition. Um, it'll get manifested in healthcare, but it's it's shaping up in the in the broader context of the society as well. That's the power of social media, and I don't I don't contest that at all. But you've also just alluded to the perils, right? Which you know, and and uh, so so someone in the audience asked about the fact, well, made the point that we've been for so long um, accustomed to debate. Debate has been. And, 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 and opposing sides. That's, that's as American as the Constitution, right? That's what our forefathers, uh, that was the stage in, in which they, they were able to eventually come to agreements uh, in terms of what the nation stands for. But now we have this more sophisticated, and, and I guess that can be contested as well, but we do have these sophisticated platforms whereby debate is naturally had on everything from the capital siege to the ACA, which was probably one of the most contested, if not the most contested pieces of legislation in our, in our, in our recent time. 
right? Um, over over a hundred iterations of, of the bill being contested, right? Um, and so the perils of social media do show us just how vitriolic, you know, a lot of the scientific debate, a lot of the political debate can, you know, can can really not even create, but upend, right? My belief is that, you know, a lot of what we saw, at least at the top of this year, certainly all of last year, all of that was there, right? And in terms of police brutality and, um, and, and anger, and which led to protests, peaceful or otherwise, and, uh, and the attack on the, on the Capitol, right? So my question to you is, Dr. 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 Puckran, to the extent that, that our quest, as those who are interested in equitable outcomes, our quest is to spread information and use social media as a tool to do that, um, to, to uh, dis- disable misinformation and, and, and disinformation, right? That's also our, that's, that's our defensive tactic, right? How, how, how do you see, um, you know, social media playing out over time when it comes to what we're trying to achieve um, by 2030, and I'm saying 2030, especially because we generally mark health by, you know, by decennial milestones and such like, like that. But, um, but I'm also thinking about the fact that the nation, to your point, will be over 50% majority minority, right? And, and, and I'm using minority loosely here because we're, that's almost, you know, yeah, I know. So, yeah. it's, it's ironic to say yeah, that. But yeah, so so talk to us about that, you know? Well, first of all, uh, we have to always admit democracy is incredibly messy, right? Um, Because everyone has a voice uh, and and it's important that everyone have a voice. Uh, And uh, and so if you think about this huge market square where we all come and and voice, um, uh, it's, it's incredibly messy. Uh, and social media um, has just added to it because it allows what was once diff- different voices to come together, and those dis- disparate voices don't even have to be saying right? They can be, you know, they, they can have a, a, a real alternative view of the world, um, and 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 now they're finding collective voice, and so it makes it even even more challenging. Uh, but but the faith has to be that out of all of that noise, um, we we can find um, a common ground, a center um, for the for the country, uh, and um, and you know we can't despair about that. Um, but we also have to recognize that it, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of collaboration and uh, and building it. Um, and I think probably um, the most important piece of it is is that we have a sense of where we're going uh, and where we, what we're trying to get to um, because a, a lot of those other voices, they're looking in the past. We, we can't go back there. There's no, there's no credible way to go back there um, uh, and because nobody's, nobody's going back there. So it's, it's just not, it's not a credible pathway. And Social media is one of the tools that we have to use. Um, and if we work collaboratively uh, with social media, um, we can drown out uh, that noise. You don't have to, can't outlaw it. We're a democracy, you can't do that. Uh, but the way to, to get after it is 
those of common mind um, have to get together on social media um, and educate and reinforce um, and help people understand what that future looks like that we're trying to achieve. Uh, and I, I think that begins to settle people down when they understand exactly what we're working towards and that there will be challenges along the way uh, because it's disruptive, right? Reimagining is about disruption. And, and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable uh, because um, um, they were wedded to privileges that are lo no longer obtainable um, in the society. So that's the challenge. So two things here. So uh, disruption is, 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 is a word I've been using for a really, really long time. I had the opportunity of, of co-writing a book with some uh, nurses who, who, who are part of Black Nursing Association and the American Nursing Association. Actually, a number of people, not just nurses. Um, but the book is called uh, it's it's called equitable. It's called equity in in, in nursing, basically. Um, but in my chapter, I talk about the spirit of disruption, right? And I talk about to your to your point about having to go back and evaluate from an historical perspective uh, just those junctures in time that have disrupted the status quo. And always there has been violent uh, upturn, right? If, if, if not at the very least, um, really very critical. Well, not I won't even always say critical, but just, just an upsurge of uh, conversation amongst uh, people who were considered thought leaders at the time. What's interesting to me now is, and obviously I wasn't alive back then, but it seemed to me that there were so many different stages um, and, and uh, ability to voice certain opinions within the same arena, right? The arenas themselves were not politically, were not always politically separated, right? So today we have our Fox News, our MSNBC, right? So you can tune in to the thoughts that you really want to hear that reinforce, um, that reinforce where one stands. And it really makes disruption hard. It makes reimagination difficult, right? And so I, I would, I want to really just in, make sure that through NMQF um, that the audience understands that you all are invested in providing those opportunities for um, for voicing thoughts that may not necessarily sound um, useful or not even just useful welcome to every single body who's in who's in the audience and, and one of the things I think we can in terms of a, a more timely example I'm thinking about the whole social media conversation around critical race theory Right. And this idea that, first of all, critical race theory is new, which is ridiculous. Mm. Right. Um, but it literally requires us to go back um, in time and evaluate where we've come from. But it also requires for us to be present and hear out conversations to your earlier point that are difficult to hear, that put people on edge um, because they they don't always understand. So I, I want to get into that a little bit. Yeah. You know, so, so the challenge is. Um, that um, um, when you have something that is so deeply rooted in a society um, where um, by common practice um, you, you discriminate um, and you um, define privilege um, and you know let's let's take um, healthcare for example um, several years ago, 
uh, we were asked to do a study of hip replacements in the state of California. This is about 2007. So we went back and looked, and in 1995, the white population in California was about 67%, and 80% of all the hip replacements in California were being done on whites. So we looked at the data in 2006, and now the white population in California is 50%, but 80% of the hip replacements in California were still being done on whites, even though you've had that dramatic shift. Um, it, it is because the population may have shifted but the practice of medicine hadn't shifted. The way in which we uh, provide access to therapy is not that Blacks and Hispanics didn't need hip replacements, it's just that they were uninsured, they didn't have the capacity, so they ended up living in pain when they could have had um, a, a much better quality of life uh, with hip replacements. That's but one example of, and so when you come in and you want to disrupt that, uh, and you want to say, no, 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 everybody who needs a hip replacement needs to get one, right? And we're not going to say that you have to have a certain income or a certain education or a certain skin color. Uh, that's not how the system works. The system works that everybody has to get a hip replacement who appropriately needs one. Um, and, you know, and what you quickly find out is people start talking about well, you know, we can't afford to take care of everyone. We need to ration. We need to have value. Of, you know, there, there are whole groups out there today who talk about value assessments and, um, you know, um, because we can't afford. But that's the legacy system talking. It's just a new language, but that's the same old system talking. Um, and, and what we have to say is, no, we have to take a moment and reimagine and think through the problem to make sure that all Americans um, have access to healthcare. And that's what's disruptive. That's the part that's truly disruptive. When you say, no, we're not going to ration, we're not going to have a tiered healthcare system. We're going to have a healthcare system that from the very beginning is focused on equity. And then um, we, we, uh, we work through it um, to, to make sure um, that happens. That's new for America. That's the point I was, that's why I was showing those slides. That's a new concept and, it, and it's disruptive and it plays out in social media and people standing online and one six and all the other craziness that you see is because um, people are reacting to change. They don't understand the change um, and they don't understand what that future looks like. And that's why social media is important because it is one of the, important tools that we use to communicate with each other right now. And so we have to be on those platforms to help people understand what the future looks like. And, and speaking of platforms, tell us a bit about what NMQF is doing through some of your social media platforms. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of it's right interesting there. because this uh, uh, the change for us really, at least for me, came with um, COVID. I, from the social media standpoint, I was a Luddite, right? I mean, I didn't know what the heck is social media. Um, and uh, we started working with some fairly qualified health clinics, um, started off with 12 and then 47, um, who in the middle of, were dealing with um, the crisis in minority communities uh, with COVID, with the high mortality rates and hospitalizations and 
Um, you know, they were under stress, they weren't resourced, they weren't getting the information that they needed. And on top of that, there was a lot of, of disinformation and unfiltered content coming into the community. Think about it. Uh, one of the Kennedys was putting out information that you shouldn't get vaccinated, right? Targeting minority communities. You got the Russians running around doing God knows what, right? And all of those folks are targeting these communities. And the problem was that the the community-based organizations and the fairly qualified health clinics that were providing care in those communities didn't have the capacity to push back on social media. They didn't have this, I mean, they, they were barely resourced to take care of the clinical issues that was in front of them. And now they've got to deal with this uh, deliberate assault on the community uh, through disinformation and uh, maybe not deliberate, but nonetheless, all that unfiltered content where people say crazy stuff and it, and it bleeds all over the society. And so we realized that um, if we were going to be helpful, one of the places we could be helpful was to amplify their voice, to figure out a way um, that uh, we could provide um, a backbone for them so that um, their voices uh, could be heard in social media. And it led to the development of what we call AI HealthNet. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a hybrid system. Um, and so on one side, it's like Facebook. So we took each one of those fairly qualified health centers and, and um, CBOs, and we gave them a web page. Uh, we call them microsites. And we gave them a microsite uh, and so now they have a presence, uh, but they're all on the same platform, um, meaning they all have virtually the same web address. And the reason why that's important is because we can collect information and help them find audiences um, so that we could find audiences for them. While they were doing their work, we were helping them on the background, uh, amplifying their voice in community and pushing back on the social media. And the other thing, part of it was um, we built content, we call them content microsites. So we took a little bit of information. So this ain't WebMD where you kind of overload people and they read it and they don't understand what the hell they're talking about and you're going on and on. And I just got a simple question I need answered. So what we try to do is build sites that answer very, very simple questions using infographics and not always language. And if it's language we're using, it's a short paragraph like when you go to a museum and you go in the museum exhibit has a little placard that tells you what you're looking at well that's the size of the information that we're imparting um, but it's answering a question so it's like um, for the monoclonal antibody so what's a monoclonal antibody and uh, how do when do i get it and who pays for it and just answer just little simple stuff like that or covid vaccine or flu vaccine whatever it is and so we take those content microsites um, and, and the information that they contain and we get them to community through the organizations, um, uh, um, CBOs and FQHCs in their community who are the trusted voices. So it's not NMQS voice that they're hearing. They're hearing Watts Healthcare. They're hearing the healthcare center in Jasper or a Samaritan in, in, in Georgia because those folks are in community and they have the opportunity to, to push back. Uh, and um, on the back end, 
we're running a lot of analytics um, and trying to figure out who are the audiences, how do we shape the information um, to, to get it to them in the same way that Facebook thinks about things. And Facebook is trying to, you know, build a business and keep people on the site. We're not trying to do that. What we're trying to do is share information with people. And as we started to, to work on this, I, I, I really began to understand the power of social media. Um, so we ended up with a partnership with Twitter. Uh, and what that allows us to do is to have conversations in social media, point them to the content microsites, uh, and deliver that information through the, um, through the FQHCs and, and CBOs that they're familiar with. Uh, and, um, you know, sometimes we have audiences of a million, a million and five people that we're reaching. Uh, we're prior to that, we would never reach an audience like that, but now we're, we're giving them trusted information and, and we're learning. Um, and so for me, it's, it's, it's been um, really an incredible experience. Uh, and, uh, my, you know, I used to listen to, um, think about, um, oh, uh, lack of a better term, but the right wing had those echo chambers and banner and he had this website and they're talking and they're reinforcing each other, even though some of the stuff is quite frankly not credible, but they're passing it back and forth and people come to believe it. We have to build the same echo chamber. We have to build the same infrastructure um, to help communicate. And so what I say to my friends in healthcare, uh, patient advocacy groups, um, um, fairly qualified health uh, physicians, we have to come together, work in a common way to share information because you can develop great medicines, but if people don't understand them, like we see with the vaccine, they ain't gonna take them. And so um, you have to take that next step to get information to the public, not to tell them what to do, but to give them in, uh, information so that they can make informed decisions about their life. And so that, that's what we've been at. We, we've been pulling together a great team. We've hired a social media uh, uh, director, Grant, he's fabulous. We've worked with um, Kellyanne and her team at Volt Lab. They're fabulous. Uh, and, you know, we are um, deeply now committed to whole social media experience. So Luddite no more, Dr. Luddite no more. I've <laughs> given up my Luddite, man. I'm, oh, man. I'm, I'm social media all in. <laughs> you know, that's that's another thing I really appreciate you about you. You know, you're a lifelong learner. You've you've been here, you've been here for for for. Uh, well, I'm not going to put your age out there. People <laughs> wouldn't believe me anyway. But uh, you, you've been here for for longer than I have, and um, I always feel like I'm sitting at the master teacher's feet. <laughs> You know, when 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 speaking with you, um, I want to reiterate that formula that that you brought up. You know, you said you you're, you're basically social media is the hub, and you're you're harnessing the power of social media uh, to generate the conversations. But but then you also mentioned two critical pieces that are a, a part of this formula. The one is working in direct uh, communication and and. And consistently with trusted voices, established voices um, it, within within the neighborhoods that need to not just receive the information, but oftentimes don't have access to it, whether or not uh, they want to hear it. Maybe it could be a broadband issue. It could be that, um, you know, just people are not 
uh, don't know how to access the information, but they can go to people that they already know. They can go to the FQHCs, they can go to the CBOs, they can go to other individuals and organizations. And NMQF is working really quite intentionally to strengthen, develop new relationships, um, even, even when it comes down to working with organizations that traditionally uh, organizations like yourself have, have like yours have, have not worked with in the past right so that's that's the a main takeaway from the formula and then the other end which you mentioned is the data collection right um, and ensuring that those data are disseminated and, and you didn't tell the audience this but I, I'm hoping you can tell us more about it um, you disseminate data at the zip code level at the tri zip code level can you tell us a bit more about about that part of the of the formula oh you know um uh, when I got started in healthcare, one of the things um, I realized is that America is very, very segregated um, um, and is segregated by zip code. Um, so roughly 70% of African-Americans in the country live in about 2,500 zip codes. 70% of Hispanics are in 2,500 zip codes. 50% of Asians are in 1,500 zip codes. So all the disparities, all that we're talking about, have geographical features to them. They have structure to them. Uh, and so um, um, that enables you to target, to geo-target information. And so where success lies is getting your information so that it gets shared in barbershops, in beauty salons, right? Uh, where people in their everyday life are coming across, not um, uh, from some foreign source, but from voices that they hear every day uh, that are informed about um, health, uh, health policy, um, so that they can make really important decisions. And social media is one of the tools uh, that you can use um, uh, to do that. And you know, we're looking for deep collaborations. This is not a, this is an NMQF project in the sense that, you know, we can do this alone. Uh, we're reaching out to other patient advocacy groups. Some of them may not even be, be minority serving right now, but we can say to them, yeah, but you've got some information that we can repurpose and, and get to communities that need it um, so that um, the disinformation and unfiltered content content that has been disruptive to their lives, um, we can push back on. And so, you know, that that's really how we've been thinking about this. I'm, uh, I couldn't get to my mute button, unmute button fast enough there. Um, yeah, Dr. Parker, I mean, so I wanted in these last uh, 15 minutes or so, I want, I want for you to challenge us about what it means to take up the mantle moving into moving more deeply into the 21st century um, talk to us about what 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 is required of, of us well, the 21st century at least in my thinking is very very different uh, from any century uh, before us uh, the 21st century means that humanity has to be woke right um, so what do I mean by that um, so even as late as the 19th century, land was abundant in the United States. You know, you didn't like it here, you just walk off into the wilderness. And, um, our, our, you know, we were having some negative impact 
on on the ecosystem, but but not but not enough to really strain it and put it under under real stress. Um, we're now stressing out um, the very ecosystem that keeps us alive, and um, we have to get in harmony uh, with it. Um, uh, we don't have a choice. I mean, I hear that climate change debate. They're talking as if they have a choice. I had a, a guy who, um, I won't mention his name, passed away. He used to work for me. Oh, this is very early um, when um, we first got um, uh, into in the work that we were doing. He had diabetes um, and um, he wouldn't take care of it. Uh, and he came to me one day um, he was a veteran and he said, they want to give me a triple bypass. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't think I want to do it. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, oh, oh no, that's not an option, right? Um, you have to have a triple bypass. This is not like a nice to have. If you want to live, this is, this is your option. That's where we are with climate change. You know, um, this is not a, de- you're not debating with the economy or with the, uh, with the ecosystem. If you think you are, then you're going to lose. It's not a debate. And But the whole point of what I'm saying is that um, the way to think about it in the past, our biology drove the economy. That's what slavery was about. It was taking the biology of African-Americans to drive an economic order right? uh, and a broad economic order. Um, um, now, we have to build an economy that supports our biology. It's a very, very different formulation. Um, and uh, when I talk about the change in healthcare, um, it, it's embedded in that reasoning um, that um, we have the opportunity by the end of the 21st century to have conquered many of the major diseases that early generations had to deal with. If we get to 2045 and we haven't conquered diabetes, what the hell, right? I mean, we could do that. Um, we're we're moving into the end stage on on the war on on cancer. We're actually curing things. Um, and but in order in order to do all of that, we have to be woke. We have to have purpose. We got to know exactly what we're doing and what we're investing in, and how we're going forward. And um, and I think that's our that's our future. That's that's the work at hand, um, but we're, we're not grasping it yet. Uh, we, we're having these arguments, uh, but we don't understand that there is a natural order. Uh, there are forces of nature and we don't control them. And so the best we can do is to get into harmony with them. And and um, and I, I think that's really the, the challenge that sits in front of us. And for African-Americans who have taken this deep journey from slavery to where we are, we have to now pick up that fight um, and move it to uh, a reimagining of the way in which we're doing things so that um, everyone can have a high quality and long life. And I think that that's a tremendous challenge. Not only is it a tremendous challenge, but I think we're tremendously challenged by distractions. And and one could argue that social media can be distracting, right? So how do we how do we then reconcile this call 
um, and coming to understand our deep purpose collectively and individually with and, and, and work in harmony, not just with the ecosystem, um, but with everything that's now availed to us in terms of protecting the ecosystem and raising the voice for equity with this other side of sometimes people spend hours scrolling mindlessly on Instagram or, you know, arguing relentlessly with people over asinine stuff on, so on Facebook or, you know, succumbing to these ridiculous challenges on TikTok, you know, so, you know, what yeah, do you I, say I know, to that? I know, I know, but, um, you know, um, my answer to that, that's all good, right? Um, um, you know, good leadership um, will um, accommodate uh, for that. Not everyone has to be in the struggle, right? Um, uh, but um, if you have a sense of of of, of direction and um, can um, communicate with people, they can go on and have their lives. Um, but what we just want to do is reorder it a little bit um, so that um, we pass on to the next generation um, a world of opportunities instead of having the system collapse on them. Um, um, uh, human civilizations collapse, right? I mean, they, they're not infallible. They, they can break down. Uh, and so um, it's incumbent upon us uh, to, to make sure that we enjoy the benefits of, of, for the time that we have, but we also um, make a better world uh, for the next generation. We don't want the next generation to have to deal with cancer and diabetes and all of these other ailments when, when we're in the middle of a scientific revolution and we have the capability uh, to make those to make those changes. I think the, the the bigger challenge really is it's really the legacy system. It is really those who want to hold on to the past for all kinds of reasons. You know, lack of imagination, selfish reasons, political reasons. I mean, you could name them. Uh, one of the things I remind myself, and I challenge everyone here to go take a look, is people still believe the Earth is flat. There's a flat Earth society out there, and you can Google them. You and I have <laughs> had this conversation, and I remember yeah. the first time you brought that up. I, I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. I know, but they're there because that's how ideas are. They don't go away. They nest in some crazy places, and people hold on to them, and that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with um, uh, a legacy system that has run its course, um, it needs to be reimagined. It, it's not going quietly into the night. Um, and, you know, so uh, we have to find ways to um, help those who um, need to understand that the moment of change has come and we don't have a lot of choice about it. Uh, so we need to get on with the work. Get on with it, that's the call right there, that's it. So any, any, any final words before I ask for a summary from you, Dr. Buckman? Well, first of all, I always enjoy talking with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I remember, for the audience don't know, I was at uh, a talk that Leah, uh, Mia gave, uh-huh. uh, and she was taking people through the history, and I said, oh, yeah, uh-huh. I get it. Yes, uh-huh. indeed. Um, you have to know the history uh, if, if you're going to understand where you're trying to, to get to. So I, I always enjoy these conversations where we look both past and present and future and try to understand uh, what the what the next step looks like so but yeah I'm always having fun when I'm talking with you. 
Me too. Me too. And you know, the more the more I listen to you, the the better I hear. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. Um, particularly driving home the point that we've now moved on, and and must insist on moving beyond a system wherein our biology supports the economy. Yeah, right? that's old. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. old. That's one of those old that's legacy old. systems that you said. That's what the governor of remember the lieutenant governor of Texas mm-hmm. in the middle of the COVID crisis says to people, "Oh, you need to keep going to work, and we can open up the society. And if you die, you've died you die. in the interest of the of the of the economic order, right? That's the old school. That's classic old school thinking, right? That somehow our biology has to support the economy. That's not how we want to be thinking about things." The economy should be at the service of our biology. That's where it's supposed to be, not us giving our lives for an economic order. And the second takeaway is 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 essentially having to do with um, ensuring that we create systems where we can reframe and reimagine the yeah. narrative. Narrative. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's both the, the fun part and, and the hard part, right? Because. Um, uh, there's so many nuances and changes that occur. You know, I uh, Gretchen Wartman on our staff does does our health Amazing. policy, yeah, and she's digging into the weeds of of health policy, looking at ICD-10 codes, and because those codes kind of frame how care is delivered. Most people and they're the money makers, they're the money generators in medicine. Yeah. And most people don't even know what the damn ICD-10 code is, uh, but here she is in the middle of it, uh, helping to write codes and and, uh, making those changes or creating performance measures and and, or pushing back on organizations like ICER who wants to sit around and tell us that um, uh, we can't take care of everybody, some people uh, we have to sacrifice. Um, Yeah, so... It is all those little kind of nuances that are in the system that have to be changed. And then the second to last bit, and our our, our, uh, our everyday host has, has joined us. Our second to last bit, Dr. Parker, that you mentioned as the third takeaway is, is that, you know, we've got to be able to leverage social media, but in tandem with um, working with our partners on the ground who are already established and trusted, and then also leveraging the data and making the data available and accessible and um, and resonant yeah. with communities. So think, think of think of social media as our air force, right? Uh, you got to have an air force um, to um, be able to deliver trusted information into community that people can use um, in their in their daily life, and it, it's it's all collaborative. Um, uh, it, it, you know, to to get to the future. Uh, we have to collaborate uh, with each other um, and uh, you know, to build that system that we all want, which is we want a system that takes care of our family and our neighbors and, um, and uh, it gives us an opportunity to pass something on uh, to the next generation um, so that um, they are not, um, uh, we have not eaten a hole in their future uh, and given them really a dangerous situation to live in. And then finally, you mentioned we've got to carry this mantle forward in the 21st yeah. century. It's our purpose. It's it, our it is. A, it is. Imperative. You actually don't have a choice, right? It means yeah. If you're really thinking about it, you know um, that this is the work at hand. And it's 
it, it's the work of our generation. We have to do it. So there it is. There it is. Dr. Gary Puckerman, CEO and president of National Minority Equality Forum. You are, I, I'll, I'll, I'll eat this that later, but you are literally my favorite person to talk to <laughs> on, this, on this webinar. Um, and I, I look forward to seeing you again, my friend. Uh, well, you know, I always love talking to you. Indeed, uh, yeah. indeed. Um, Brandon Garrett, our host, has, has joined us today. And so he's, I'm going to turn it over to Brandon to close us out. And uh, once again, thank you to our audience for your, your energy, your engagement. And I'm excited that you tune in next week for what NQF has to say. And I'm Mia Keyes with Congresswoman Robin Kelly's office. And Brandon Garrett, take it away. Uh, thanks so much, Mia, for covering everything this morning. And Dr. Parker, you're always great to have on. I, I went out and spoke to Mia about hosting this week with Dr. Parker. And she's like, oh, that's just great. We can talk about whatever. <laughs> and they and they do. And they always educate. And I noticed the comments and whatnot. So I know that it was a good uh, topic. So like love to hear from you guys again. Um, we'll see you next week. We'll be talking about uh, breast cancer. Um, as we're in the month of October and it's something that we really need to discuss. We're going to be doing, in addition to the program tomorrow, that, excuse me, next Friday, we're doing a breast cancer. There's a lot of work we're doing in that space uh, in the upcoming year. So with that, thanks to everybody and thanks to, and thanks to everybody's real favorite person, Keiko, who puts this on every Friday. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, thanks All right. a lot. No doubt about thanks. it. Thank you, Bye. Keiko. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See you soon.